It's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond, episode number 464 for November 19th, 2016. And this is also Taming the Terminal, part 35 of N with Bart Bouchotts. Hey, Bart, I bet people thought N was was 34, but it isn't. <laughs> yeah, it's not. And it, it may stay 35 for a while, but I don't think it'll stay 35 forever, I think. You know, it's what, what has it been about a year since we did one of these? I imagine we'll revisit it sporadically over the next while. But you've just whenever I get some, an idea, something new that we need to know about uh, to play with in the terminal. Yeah, pretty much. I was I was doing some fun stuff, and I was like, I haven't talked about this in taming the terminal yet, and this is fun. So <laughs> I, I'm sort of filling it out as we go. Well, great, great. I'm excited. Yeah, so this is a two-parter, sort of. There are two completely unrelated commands I want to talk about today. So we're going to do one and then just do another one. So it's two, it's quite disjointed, I guess, but they're two fun commands. Cool. Okay, so the first one is called screen. Hmm. Spelled like you would the screen on your television. And this is installed by default on OS X, but not all versions of Linux have it by default, but it will be available almost certainly in the standard package manager of your Linux distribution of choice. So if you're on a Red Hatty system, you may need to do a yum install uh, screen. Uh, If you're on a Debian system, you may need to do an app to get install screen. But either way, you should be able to get screen pretty easily because it's 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 all over the place. It's a very it's a very common tool. Okay. Now. There's a little bit of the Alice in Wonderland going to go on here today (laughs) because screen is a virtual terminal that you access from your real terminal. (laughs) So what happens when you invoke screen is that you get a new, a fresh terminal inside your terminal. But this fake terminal, this virtual terminal is actually, it has disconnected itself from your login process so that when you log out, it continues to run. And you can then reconnect to it and pick up where you left off. And if you set it doing something that's going to take 20 hours to complete, it will keep working while you're away. And then you just pop back in to see how it's getting on. Well, so that means it's something that has to run while a terminal session is open because other stuff can run when your terminal is not open. Right. So what it does is it takes a shell and it, takes it out of the mode where it actually belongs to your login process, disconnects it like you would disconnect a web server, and lets it continue to run in the background. That's why it's a virtual terminal. So it's basically a terminal that runs in the background that you can reach into when you want. Hmm. So it's, it's, yeah. The only thing that will kill it is um, rebooting the computer. Rebooting the server you're talking to, you mean? Or, well, I mean, computer servers are all computers, right? No, but I mean, I mean you can not run... the not if I'm running this on my uh, web server and I'm sitting on my Mac. I'm you're not saying rebooting my Mac would cause it to stop. No, I'm not. So that would only happen if you had SSH'd and then started screen on the remote server. So the, the the machine screen is running on. When it reboots, the screen processes will all end. Other than okay. that, they're persistent. So what is something so... you would need to be logged in to be running? Uh, well, let's imagine uh, you have some sort of script that is doing some sort of big job, like going through all of your files, finding everything that does a certain thing and copying them to a certain place. Maybe you're doing a great big backup of five gigabyte, uh, five terabytes of data or something from one Drobo to another, whatever. <laughs> and you, you know, you, you're going to start it off, and then maybe you, you, maybe you SSH to a little Mac Mini you have sitting around somewhere. You start off this massive big file transfer, and then you want to go out and get a coffee. Well, normally, when you end your SSH session by falling off the edge of your Wi-Fi, 
all the processes started by that session would stop. And so your copy oh. would stop. Oh, I didn't know I, that. Yeah, I mean, when you close the terminal window, anything you started is gone unless it has explicitly disconnected itself from your terminal. So your terminal is the parent process of the things you do. So when you run the command top, top is the child process of your terminal. So when you kill the terminal, all of its children get killed. So what screen does is it basically divorces itself from your parenthood and goes and sits as as an independent process. It's, it's still horrible. owned by we've you, got, but it's, we've got dead children, and divorced parents. This is a terrible. Yeah, maybe not the best <laughs> analogies, but they are called child processes. Okay, all right. So I, there are many real-world situations where this comes in handy. So I have four examples I just want to share with you. So if you're connecting to a server over SSH from a laptop that maybe you regularly put to sleep and wake up and put to sleep and wake up. Well, if you're doing something on that server, every time you put the laptop to sleep, you lose your SSH connection to the server. And then when you turn it on, you reconnect, you're back to an empty screen. So all of your context of everything you were doing has been lost. So even if it's not one command running forever, you actually have lost all of your history of what you were doing there. So it would actually be nice just to take up exactly where you left off, even if it wasn't a command that took forever to run. So if you're using screen on the remote machine, you would SSH and then enter your virtual screen and everything would be just like you left it. Oh, that's kind of cool. Another reason it would come in very handy is if you were SSHing to a remote server and you were on dodgy Wi-Fi. Maybe you're driving somewhere, you know, as a passenger. Mm-hmm. I hasten to add. Uh, and you're coming in and out of cell phone signal. Well, if you're just SSH straight in, you would lose everything each time you lost internet connectivity. Whereas if you're using a screen session, all you'd have to do is reconnect to your screen. And okay. then sure. be right where you left off. So that's another common one. Uh, Again, if you're doing something that takes a long time to execute, you could start it, disconnect, do anything else you want, and then reconnect later to see how it's going. And this is something that certainly in my professional world crops up quite a bit. And another thing that may happen is you you may share uh, a server with someone else. Well, you could each have your own. So you're logging into that server as one user account. So if you wanted to keep your own little private space, you could have a screen session each and each of you just use your own screen session. And then you have a sort of a permanent little playground that's yours, sort of an account within an account. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the key point is that screen needs to be installed on the computer that you're, you're having the virtual server on. So if you're SSHing to a server, that's where screen has to be. If you're just running it locally on your Mac, then that's where screen has to be. Okay. And you said right, it's built into the Mac? Yes, yeah, built into OS X. It's one of the things you just get out of the box. So a screen process runs as the person who starts it. So it is running as you if you start it, and it has all the permissions you have. And every user has their own separate ability to run screen processes. So if you start five screen processes, then all you're going to see is five screen processes. If Steve on the same Mac starts five screen processes, he'll see his own five screen processes. You know, So they belong mm-hmm. to the user account. They're, they're okay. your screen. At any stage, you can see what screens are currently running with the command screen minus ls. So let's start there. Now, obviously, there are no screens running because we haven't done anything yet, but that's the, that will show us the null case because screens answer when you ask it to list nothing is not nothing. It sort of has a little conversation. Oh, I didn't find anything in this funny folder. It's like, okay, that, why didn't you just say there are no screen sessions? <laughs> but it doesn't. It says no sockets found in slash var slash folder slash lp slash... All sorts of gobbledygook slash t slash dot screen dot. <laughs> right? So that's normal. It's 
Okay. Stupid. It's appalling looking, but all right. Good to know. Okay. So that is that is basically, oh, I got nothing. There are no screens here. So to start a new screen, the command is simply screen. So let's just do that. Screen. Now on the Mac, this won't have this doesn't happen on my Linux servers, but on the Mac, you get a whole big screen version 4.0.03, blah 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 blah. Copyright 1993. GPL2. <laughs> And then at the bottom, it says press space or return to end. So just do that. And then you're into your what looks like a normal terminal. OK. Now, that is your screen session. So you'll notice at the top of the terminal window, it tells you that you're in screen and the inside screen, you're running bash. Because right. OS 10 is clever about these things. So you could start something in there that never ends. Let's start top. Right? That's a command that will just run forever. OK. So that is now running inside our virtual terminal. So let's disconnect from our virtual terminal with the magic key combination. Control A D for disconnect. How do you do? Oh, that's hard. Control A D. Control A D. No. Ah, there we go. So I just logged so you out. Now, you haven't. It says detached. It says log out. Saving session. Copy shared Whoa, I, saving history. Different. Deleting expired sessions. None found. Process completed. Okay, you you hit Command C or Command Z. You you no. you killed something proper dead. That wasn't Control A D will just detach. Okay, go back into screen because I think you killed your entire terminal. Well, I don't know what I've got now. It's in process completed with square brackets around it and Control yeah, that's C. the terminal is dead. So you you must have Control Z it or you must have gone really far out. You've completed that terminal is dead. Yeah, start a new terminal. Okay. Uh, I'd right. love to know what key combo was next to control AD. But whatever it is, something, you hit something close by, but not it. Okay. So you're saying, so I just did screen, just, and I'm going to do control AD. Well, I, I was going to say if you could start top before you oh, go back. That's it. right. So okay. that we have something running in our virtual screen. Right, control and then AD. Control AD. Nothing happened. Try it again. You're, you're still on top? Yeah. Okay, if I do them all at the exact same time, it says screen detached. Okay, I, good. I held control and then AD was what didn't work. Control AD works. Okay, good. Yeah, because there's a key combo, right? Yeah, but usually can do them a little bit separate. Okay, all right. Uh, did, to be honest, I don't think I'm doing them exactly in the same, but whatever way I'm doing it, it's happy. Uh, okay, <laughs> so it's now detached. So you're back to your real, you're not in a virtual terminal, you're back to your actual terminal. Uh huh. But the top process is still running. So you can now, if you do a screen minus ls, I have a feeling you may see two, depending on quite what you did in the last time. <laughs> okay. But you're going to see at yep. least one. I get two of them. And they should probably both say detached. Uh-huh. Okay. And they have a dumb name, because we didn't actually give them a name. Okay. Now, the command to reattach to the last screen you were in is screen space minus or which will reattach to the last screen you were in. So that's our second one. We'll ignore the first one. It's just going to stay there for a while. So Let's if we now see. do a screen minus or, we should be right back in our top. No, it said there are s several suitable screens on, and it gives me the choices of the two of them. Okay. Uh, can you so select? Type, type quote screen space uh, minus D minus R PID dot TTY dot host to resume one of them. Oh, okay, uh, hang on, I'm going to detach so I can see. Uh, if you do the screen minus ls I did screen LS minus again. r. Okay, so if you do screen minus ls again, you'll see the list of them. Yep. Uh, so if you copy and paste 
the second one? I'm guessing here. Sure. Well, they're both running tabs, so we won't know. So oh, okay, that's okay. Then that's okay. So if you copy and paste, it'll basically be a number dot a tty dot the name of your computer. So if you copy all of there that, you go. After and then go dash, minus or minus r. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So the top is right where you left it. Let's. Excuse me. How would I know this is where I left it? I guess just because I didn't have to say top. Right. It was still running. Right. You didn't get a blank terminal. You got a command yeah. in progress. Okay. Good point. Mm -hmm. So type Q to go at the top. Actually, sorry, I'm going to follow okay. my own instructions here. Screen minus R. Okay, so Q to get at the top. You now have a command prompt again inside your virtual terminal. So if you now type exit, you're going to kill one of your two screens. And you should be right back. So the screen is terminating. Yeah. Okay, and now if you do an, uh, a screen minus LS, you'll have one left and I have none left. I do. Now, I'm going to jump ahead of my instructions here. Uh, oh, actually, how do I kill? <laughs> actually, if you screen minus or now, you can go back in and repeat the last few steps, and then you, you should be back to sanity. You know what doesn't work is if you say screen minus four. I always put minus R's instead of, I always put fours instead of R's. I just reach too high. Okay, yeah, that jumped right in that time. Okay, so then Q, Q okay. out of that, and then exit out of that, so then we're back to no screens. There we go. Now. That was cool. Rather than having it pick a stupid name, like mm -hmm. 478 um, we can give our screens sensible, insane names. So this time we're going to... So basically the command is screen space minus capital S and then the name of the session. Uh, and then you would minus or with that nice human-friendly name. So let's do one for top. So let's just say screen minus capital S space top. So mm -hmm. now... Say, make me a new screen and call it top. Okay. And predictably, we'll run top in there. Let it go. Okay. Okay. Detach again with our control AD. Mm -hmm. And now we can reconnect with uh, simple. Actually, if you do an LS, a screen minus LS, you'll see that now it has a nice name instead of all the stupid clop. It's still got a number before it, though. Right. The number is the process ID. So if you oh. wanted to kill that screen session, you could say kill space minus nine space 4887. That would kill it. Okay. Okay. So it's, yeah, so it's process ID followed by the name you've given it. So it's top. Uh -huh. So we can reconnect now by saying screen minus or top. Oh, so I don't need the whole, uh, in the process ID inside it. Okay. No, just screen minus or top. And then in you should come. Neato. Okay. So again, we'll... Uh, okay, so by default, in the normal run of things, uh, screen will only let one person into a session at a time. So you can only be connected to a single virtual terminal one at a time. And it's entirely plausible that you'll start something, uh, say, start something, uh, you're at work and you SSH to a server, you start the screen session, and then you go out to meeting with your laptop and you want to get into that session only when you try it will say, no, you're not allowed. So let's open a second terminal window. Mm -hmm. leaving. So leave your first window there inside the screen session running top and try to go screen minus or top. And it'll go, nope. There is a screen, but there's no screen to be resumed matching top. Because uh, I'm not letting you in. Yeah, there is one, but you're not getting in there. It's attached. Okay. So now you have two choices. You can either boot the other person off or mm -hmm. you can choose to explicitly share. So to boot the other person off, we could run in our second window. We could say screen minus or D 
top, D for detach. And if you have the two terminal windows next to each other as you do this, what you will see is you go in and the other guy goes out. Ooh, that was fun. Okay. I don't know the why other I thing we to do, do it, but it was fun. The other thing we can do is share them. Mm-hmm. So if you go back to your first terminal window now, okay. you can type screen minus or X top. X for minus reasons like cannot. Yeah, minus or X. I have no okay. idea why X means share, but it okay. does. Now you're going to see the same thing in both screens. Slightly different display, though. It's got a set of dashed lines under it. Oh, because that's all I can see on the other screen. <gasps> Wait. So it, there might be a slight lag between them. No, it's got like uh, 10 or 12 lines showing. Normally when you lengthen the, the, the terminal window in top, it just shows you more and more processes. Not when you're in screen because you're lengthening your physical terminal, not your virtual terminal. Okay. Your virtual terminal is the size of the screen it was created in. Ah, interesting. Right, we're, we're, in, we're through the looking glass here. Yeah, we are. Okay, now, to really blow your mind, these two things are showing the same thing. So on any of them, type Q. And then hit enter a few times. Oh, look, it's all going in parallel. Maybe LS. Oh, that's oh, look, neat. PWD. You're actually sharing a virtual terminal in your two physical terminals. <laughs> Okay let's, uh, okay, let's kill our terminal. Type exit to kill the screen session, and it will boot you out on both. Okay. Okay. So to be honest, that's that screen. I think it's pretty darn cool. That is uh, fun. I use it. I use it an awful lot um, in work um, because, well, I'm, a lot of my work these days is done on a laptop, and I'm constantly moving from room to room for a meeting here and a meeting there. And if I'm doing anything that's going to take more than a minute or two, I want to be doing it in a screen session so that when I reopen my laptop, everything is as I left it on the remote server I'm working on. Oh, nice. So it's, um, I actually, so my SSH client of choice allows me to, con- to, to specify a command to run after connecting. And so on a few of my servers, I have named screen sessions that I just automatically connect into. So I'm always exactly where I left off. Oh, you can define those in your SSH client. In my SSH client. So when I connect to this server, jump into the screen called blah, blah, blah. Oh, neat. So the feeling I have is that I just have this perpetual window. Yeah. And you're just opening the window, looking in the box and closing it again. Exactly. Actually, and the, yeah, okay. So this is quite through the looking glass already. And I don't go any deeper in the looking glass than what I have told you so far. However, some people like to take it to the next level of Through the Looking Glass. So I'm going to mention that this next level exists, and you may or may not decide you care. I've decided I don't. You can have every screen session can have multiple windows inside it. So multiple pretend windows inside it. Mm -hmm. So if you start a new screen session, let's just start one without giving it a name. Just say screen. Right? Hit return to get our screen session. So we're in a screen session. Mm-hmm. We can now type control AC, C for create, and it will create us another screen session. It will look just like the previous one you had. I can't tell so maybe, did anything. Yeah, I was going to say, I hit return five times before I did the second create, but in this case, just hit return a few times so that they look okay. here, so that there's something in the second session. And if you hit control A, control A, you'll jump from one to the other. And the number of enters you've hit should be different in the two. I think I have three of them because one of them is the same as the first one. So there's two that look this. Oh, that's, that's horrible. 
I know, this is through the looking glass, right? If you have multiple of them, you can cycle through them with control A N for next and control A P for previous. And if you'd like to see how many you have, you can do control A W and it will show you a little list at the bottom of the screen. Control and there will w. be a star. So the very so control oh, A W at the Yeah. And it will vanish after a few seconds. The one with the star is where you are, they're numbered from zero. I don't so like I this at all. Make it stop. <laughs> yeah, just exit. Get you out of there. Now we'll get you out of one, then exit again to get out of the other one. Now exit one for one for each one you made, and then you should be back to your terminal. I'm gonna exit three times. And okay, you did have it. three. <laughs> I think. Yeah. So I don't do Windows inside screens. That is one level of abstraction too far from my brain. I'm perfectly happy to have multiple screens, multiple virtual terminals inside one terminal, but window virtual windows inside virtual terminals inside my real terminal. That's too far. You want to just have tabs in terminal or something. Exactly. So there we go. So that's, I have mentioned that some people make really heavy use of it and they're using function keys to jump around inside their virtual windows. If you see an expert at it, it's quite impressive looking. It's just not me. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's the first half. That's cool. Half of that, what was I want to talk to that was fun. That was neat. Yeah, a nice little bite-sized piece. Yeah. So the second thing I want to talk to you about is a system called Cron. Am I allowed and to say I name, know what this one is? You are, because you and I, outside of the podcast, have made much use of Cron. Yeah. Probably for the single most, most used for reason to have Cron is to do backups. So Cron takes its name from chronology, chronometer, any of those time-like things that have the word cron in the front of them. It is a system for repeating commands at a specified time. And its definition of what that specified time is is actually extremely flexible. So it's not just every two minutes, every four hours. It's way more powerful than that. It can be like the first Monday of the month of April every second year. Well, no, I can't do that. But it can do many stupid, weird things. it's very powerful. And that has a plus and a minus. The plus is it's very powerful. The minus is it has an amazing ability to confuse people. Hmm. Astonishing ability to confuse people. So I think when you understand that it won't, but I promise you an awful lot of seasoned sysadmins get tripped up by Cron from time to time. And if I'm not sure, I will be off to the Googles because I know there are five fields, but I'm not always sure what order they're in. Yeah, yeah. But in my memory of us talking about it, it seemed to make sense. I don't know if I could replicate it, but it makes sense. I would argue it is very sensible, but it's not obvious when you're looking at a a list of cron jobs what Mm. it means. Yeah. So we'll just go through it, and I think it is sensible, it is sane, and we will get there. I'm just saying it does have the ability to confuse people, so if we just go slowly, I'm sure we'll be fine. Yeah. So... The way it works is every user on a Unix system has something called a cron tab, which is basically a table of their cron jobs. And a cron job is just some command, a command that will be run when some sort of time specifier is matched. Um, the command will run as the owner of the cron tab. So if the cron tab is for the user Allison, then the commands will be run as the user Allison. Uh, any output from the cron ta- from the tasks from the cron job, um, whether it be to standard out or to standard error, will be emailed to the user, but not in the way you're expecting. Hmm. So what Apple don't really make much point of telling you is that being a full Unix, Apple runs a little mini mail server inside itself. It's called SendMail. It's 
quite a nice mail server. Sorry, it's called Postfix. They upgraded from SendMail to Postfix in recent versions of OS X. Um, so there's a little mail server running inside your Mac, and you almost never see it. Except every now and then when you're in the terminal, you might see an, a little message that pops up and says, new mail in inbox. I'll just go away again. Hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen that happen. No, I, I've I certainly seen it when I'm in as root. It happens most often when you're in as root. Hmm. There is a Unix mailbox for every user on an OS X system. And basically, so Allison has a, a Unix mailbox for Allison. There's one for every user on the system. And anything that goes to standard out or standard error will be emailed to that mailbox. Now, the annoying thing is that up until about three versions of OS X ago, Mail.app would reach into that mailbox for you if you asked it to by giving it the right incantation. But Apple couldn't be bothered supporting those Unix mailboxes. So it's gone from Mail.app. I thought the answer was Thunderbird. But recent versions of Thunderbird couldn't be bothered supporting Mbox files. So what Thunderbird will allow you to do, and Mail.app as well, is be to import the mailbox once. Then you would delete the mailbox, and the next day, import the mailbox again. That is not email. That is stupid. <laughs> so your choices, basically, are not to, not to use email or to... Actually, no. Let's... Okay. I'm going to park it for now, but I'm just going to tell you now that that is the default behavior. It's going to send email somewhere you probably can't get it, and we'll look at our options in a moment. Yeah. Okay, but I, that, I, that is what it's going to do. I do remember we looked at this, and we never got it working at my house, right? No, we didn't. We got, it works in my house. It doesn't work in your house. <laughs> okay. Well, that's okay. Which is a point I've, I will raise. I've gotten my uh, network more complicated since last we tried, so that'll be good. <laughs> no, it's almost certainly not you. Oh, Okay. It's almost certainly your ISP. That's the difference between you and me. Uh, okay, we'll keep, we'll keep going. Yeah, we'll keep going. We'll get back to it. So for now, park the fact that we have this obstacle. Okay. Not insurmountable, but it's an obstacle, which you either go over or sidestep. My <laughs> preference is sidestep. Okay. So you can see your cron tab by typing the command cron tab space minus L for list. And I would imagine on this brand new MacBook Pro, the year cron tab is empty. Mine is certainly empty. It will say cron tab, no cron tab for, and then your username. Mine, oh, you just had me run something secretly before we started, so I don't did. tell anybody. Okay. So pretend for a moment. <laughs> Mine's empty, Bart. Good, good. <laughs> so you can edit your cron tab, which will make it come into being, if it doesn't already exist, with the command cron tab space minus E for edit. So there's this just one open. cron tab for a user. Yes. So Allison has a cron tab. If Steve had an account on your laptop, he would have a cron tab. Okay. Yeah. So it's a cron tab per Unix user. Okay. Uh, the root user also has a cron tab. Okay. So you could go sudo cron tab minus L and see a different cron tab. Then you see roots instead of yours. Okay. Okay. So cron tab minus E is editing your cron tab. Now cron tab minus E will edit the cron tab in the default text editor that comes on your system. And in OS X land, the default text editor that comes in your system is VI, which we talked about in installment 11, but people have probably forgot <laughs> about. VI is a stateful editor. So depending on whether or not you're in insert mode, you're either typing commands or typing text. I would strongly recommend you go back to installment 11 before you issue crontab minus E because you run the danger of putting some absolute garbage into your crontab, which your poor computer will try executing on a regular basis. Mm. 
Okay. If you make a complete and utter pig zero of it, there's a command that I'm not going to write in the show notes because it's spectacularly dangerous, but crontab minus or will remove it. Eww. That's the nuclear option. Okay. The thing is, on the keyboard, where is or relative to, say, E? Right next to it. <laughs> I have, to my eternal disgrace, on a live system, <sighs> oh. destroyed roots crontab with one slip of the finger. Oh, it's horrible. Thankfully, this is why I've developed the habit of always doing a cron tab minus L and then a cron tab minus E, because if all goes wrong, you scroll up, copy, paste, and you're fixed. <laughs> okay, that's good. That is a pro tip for free. <laughs> okay, so when you're in your cron tab minus E, the, the rules are that you put every cron job goes one per line. Okay. A line starting with a pound sign, as you would call it, or a hash symbol, as I would call it, or I guess as future generations will call it a hashtag. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> A line starting with that symbol, the two two lines in each direction, is considered a comment line. Okay. So you can use that to say what you're doing if you want. Empty lines are ignored. Hmm. Then okay. the expectation is that every other line is either a special command, and we'll come to some of those later, or it's the definition of a task to be run at a given interval. So in other words, it's a cron, it's a cron job. So the format is... A five-part time specifier, and the five parts are separated by space characters, then a space, and then the command and all of its arguments. So let's so let's repeat. I want to make sure everybody's really caught up with why you wanted to even do this in the first place. Yeah. The the example that uh, you did with me was we have a backup running that that reaches up to my web server and downloads a backup file and shoves it onto my Mac Mini. So that's something that's running at a specific time interval, running a set of commands. Yes. So, the, yeah, the most, sorry, I, I did, yeah, I meant to say that, and then I forgot. So the most common reason you, as uh, any of us as regular humans, will use a cron tab is to do a backup. Oh. So uh, you may want at, like, 3 in the morning to reach in and, you know, using SFTP or something, download something from a server somewhere and copy it safely to a local disk, or some sort of cleanup job. Like, if you're in... If you're in the financial world, you might use a cron job to do some sort of end of day statistics gathering and to create some report to give to your boss the next morning. I mean, anything that has to be done in some sort of way. So maybe at the end of every month, the last, you know, you want to do some sort of calculations about the previous month's sales and send an email if sales are down. I don't know. You know, whatever you want me to do. Mm-hmm. Some sort of task that has a repetition to it. Okay. Yeah, I want this to happen automatically, whether I'm at my computer or not, at this time signature. Mm-hmm. And the time signature is actually quite varied. So the time signature has five parts, and they're each separated by a space. We'll talk about them in a moment. Then you have one more space, and then your command. So it's time signature in five parts, space, command. And the command can have as many spaces in it as you like, and it probably has loads because it's going to be you know, a unique command with a whole bunch of arguments, realistically. Mm-hmm. You can also do things like the plumbing that we've talked about in previous installments. So your pipe, your double arrows, all those kind of things, they all work perfectly fine. So basically, after the five-part time specifier on the space, you just put the command that you would type at the terminal. Right. And that command can be run this script, which is a really common thing to put in your cron tab. Run this backup script that will then do all the real work. So when we set up your backup, we didn't put all the backup work into the cron tab. We wrote a script to do everything we wanted, dump your database, copy your files, all that kind of stuff. And then we put that script into the cron tab. Okay. Okay, so now let's look at this five-part time specifier. 
So it's five parts separated by spaces. The first part describes minutes. The second part describes hours. The third part describes the day of the month. So it's zero to 59 for your minutes, zero to 23 for your hours, no AM or PM, it's 24 hour clock. Mm -hmm. The days of the month are sensibly numbered from one to 31. Obviously there's no 31st of February. Do bear that in mind. Mm -hmm. Um, Then there's the month, which is between one and 12, all very sensible. And the last one is completely insane. It is the day of the week. It goes from zero to six. And zero is a Sunday. I think you and I talked about this on calendars. You like Saturday and Sunday next to each other. Where I'm from, we keep Sunday on the left. So it's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah, this is another one of those European versus American things. Europeans have the weekend at the end of the week. It's in the name. (laughs) Now, what would happen if you wanted something to happen at the end of the month? Like you talked about that monthly report. You can't say the 31st, the 30th, the 20th, No, that's a difficult one. So actually what you would do is is run it on the first of the month just after midnight. Ah, look at you. Okay. (laughs) Yes. As I say, Cron is powerful, but not all powerful. (laughs) Now, the way it, what, what actually happens is every minute, so whenever your clock changes from one minute to the next, your computer goes through all of the cron tabs and it looks to see if the current time matches any specifier on any cron job. And if they match, the cron job gets executed. So in each of these five slots, you will have either a number or a special character, the star. And the star means any. Okay. So if you want something to happen on the hour, every hour, the specifier is zero space star space star space star space star. In other words, when the current minutes is exactly zero, I don't care what the hour is. I don't care what the day is. I don't care what the month is. And I don't care what the day of the week is. Run this command. Okay. So that's how you read it. So if you want to run a command at 4.30 in the morning on the first of every month, the command would be 30 space 4 space 1 space star space star. In other words, this job will only execute when the minutes are 30, the hours are 4, the day of the month is 1, and we don't care what the month is and we don't care what the day of the week is. That makes sense. That makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I said it was numbers or stars, but actually we're allowed a little bit more than that. We have a little bit more power. There are two other important symbols that are allowed in there. The comma, not space separated, just commas bunched into each other, and the minus symbol. The comma means and, and the minus symbol is for specifying a range. Okay, so, I'm okay with that, that minus, but the comma, I'm not, I'm not liking that at all. That's just, <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> So you could do something like say that at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. on every weekday, run this command. So that would be 0, 8, 20, star, star, 1, minus 5. In other words, the min... Actually, that's not too bad. That's like, you know, 8, 20 is taking that one slot for the hour. Right, exactly. That's why I'm saying no spaces allowed. So it's still five slots. So you're saying the minute should be 0 or I'm not running this task. The hour can be 8 or 20. Mm-hmm. I don't care what month it is. 
sorry, I don't care what day of the month it is. I don't care what month it is. And the day of the week must be between one and five inclusive. In other words, Monday to Friday. Okay. So that is a that is the specifier to run a cron job every weekday at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Okay. Now, I'm buying one it. final, final symbol I'm going to throw into the mix here. The star divided by a number. <laughs> star slash N is oh. effectively every N minutes. So if I want to run a command every two minutes, it's star slash two, star space, star space, star space, star. One, two, hmm. three, four. Space star. Star slash two. Okay. Yeah. In other words, if the it's current like minute divided by two, two is zero. Yeah, it's an odd way of writing it, but the way you should read it in your brain is if the current minutes divided by two equals zero. Oh, you're doing modulus on me, aren't you? It kind of is a modulus, yeah. Yeah, if the if the modulus of the minute is zero, uh, then, yeah, that is what's okay. happening here, I'm afraid. So as a final example, perhaps you can work out what that last example here is. So star slash two space nine dash 18 space star space star space one minus five. Okay, I got to make sure I can make my window big enough to see your days, weeks, months. Okay, so star slash two has got to mean uh, every two minutes. And mm-hmm. we're going to do it, it says 9-18, so that's from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Yeah, which I'm going to call office hours. Okay. Uh, every day of the month, every month of the year, and Monday through Friday. So you're saying office hours, Monday through Friday. Every two minutes, we're going to so, do something. Exactly. So only, only during office hours, every two minutes, do something. We're going to ping Peter and say, is it Friday yet? Is it Friday yet? Is it Friday yet? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you could do something as annoying as you liked. <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> if you just came across a cron tab without first having been told what the five parts are, star slash two space nine minus 18 space star space star space one minus five is complete garbage. Yeah. But like regular expressions, when you know the rules, it's actually completely simple. Yeah, yeah, no, that, it made sense to me. And I there think I could even reconstruct it given your little cheat sheet there. Yes, exactly. The cheat sheet is all that matters. So that five bullet points. Yeah. I, I have those in Evernote. Oh. I, I refer to them often. Oh, that's a good idea. I'm going to go copy that and put it into together. There you go. Because to me, minutes come before hours, come before days. I'm fine with that. But why do months come before days of the week? Uh, well. So that's what always throws me. So it's. Also. Oh, yeah. Monday to Friday. Is that zero to four? Is that? No, that one, one actually five. makes, that makes perfect sense. One to five, Monday through Friday. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So as I say, I, I always check, I have to check the zero to six bit to see where it comes in the sequence and which day is Monday or which number is Monday, if you get what I mean. So that's why I have it in an Evernote and it's good to do that. Okay. So now let's revisit this whole thing of output that I sort of scared you with earlier. So by default, the output goes into your local mail account that you have no idea exists to your Unix account on your Mac or on your Linux machine, you have one too. You have a local mailbox too, which you also probably have no idea exists. You don't have to send it there. I mentioned that a line is either a comment line, a specification of a cron job, or a special command line. Well, one of the special commands is the command mail to, all one word. And it's basically mail to space an email address. And what it means, basically, every time there is output, the nearest mail to looking up only is what's actually executed by cron. 
And the top of the file is effectively the mail to of username at localhost. So you should imagine the top of the file means email it to my dumb local Unix account no one knows about. Okay. That makes sense. You always look up to see where I should be emailed to. And the first time you mean a mail to command or the top of the file, that tells you where it's going. So you might have 10 cron jobs and you might want five of them emailed to you and five of them to Steve. You'd say mail to Allison and then put your five. And then you say mail to Steve and put his five and they'll go the right place. Okay. Right? In theory. So it's, yeah, <laughs> yes. In theory. So this is what I do and that works for me. So on my Mac, I have mail to my email address and it works perfectly because what happens is OS 10 has a mail server built into it. It's called Postfix. There's a link in the show notes to the documentation. It's a mail transfer agent or MTA. And what Postfix will do is it will reach out. It will do, it will use DNS to figure out where my email is hosted and it will actually send the email directly to my mail server, which is what I want. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, and, how does it know? Oh, oh, right? oh it, it's, you're saying it's looking up Bart because Bart is in the mail too. Right. So I have okay. mail to Bart at blah, blah, blah. Okay. Uh, and I'm not saying what my email address is on the air. Let's just say uh, let's use Alice Alice yeah. All right. So what what happened is so what's happening on your Mac is that it's looking up, it's going mail to alisonapodfeet.com. So postfix is saying podfeet.com. Okay, let me get the MX record for podfeet.com. Ah, podfeet.com has blah email provider. And then your Mac is sending the email directly to that mail provider. What's happening is your ISP is going, oh no, 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 no. No, 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 no. We do not allow this kind of email transfer from within. No one's allowed to run a mail server on their local account. That's how spam goes to the internet. <laughs> Stomp. <laughs> and your ISP is by no means alone in that approach. Hmm. But the annoying thing is your Mac is sending the mail perfectly. I mean, we looked at your mail logs. Your Mac is sending it out and your ISP is going <laughs> and killing it. So it would seem to me, uh, can't I somehow have it sent from within my network to within my network and never go outside? Sure. That is one of the options. Uh, so don't stick the in the mail. Step or jump over. Yeah, it's not. No, it's, it's neither. It's okay. Fine. I'll play your game. So don't use a mail to command. Let it go to the local Unix account. OS 10 also has a command line email client built in. Has a really sensible name. Mail. <laughs> It's a pain in the backside to use. Oh. But it will read that local mailbox and it will let you read those emails. So you type mail and then you can read them. And you have to hit, it'll list the mail if there is mail. And then you have to, it'll put a number next to each subject and you hit the number of the email you want to read and then it'll show you the email. It, it's clunky. Okay. But it works. Right? That is a viable option. It works. And you will eventually get to not hate it completely. <laughs> <laughs> sort of. But you have to be remembering to check that. You can't just have it in mail.app. Exactly. Nah. So that's, okay, so you can't really do this. So that is an option, and it's not the worst option in the world. And if you want to know how to use mail, the command is man space mail. Okay. Another option, which is one I'm definitely not recommending, right? Postfix is an open source mail transfer agent. Postfix is really powerful. And if you're prepared to RTFM, read the fine manual, <laughs> you can configure Postfix to use secure authentication and to actually authenticate with your real mail server, say Gmail, do an SSL connection to Gmail and basically connect the Gmail in the same way that mail.app does and deliver the mail that way. Mm -hmm. 
that is a pain in the backside to set up. Yeah. But if you're prepared to do it, the mail will be basically from Allison at potfeet.com to Allison at potfeet.com and it will arrive in your inbox. Hmm. So basically what you're going to do is configure Postfix on your Mac to send mail as Allison at potfeet.com using Google servers to send it and then send the mail to yourself. So we're not going to do that. I'm not, I would not recommend that. So all of those are working sort of, okay, we'll work, we'll work with the email problem. We'll work through the email problem. The other way is to just ignore the email problem altogether. So you remember way back in installments 15 and 16, which we talked about plumbing and crossing yes. the streams. Mm-hmm. Well, the answer is make sure there is no output. Arrow, arrow, name of file. That will redirect the output to a file. Oh. Read the file. So then arrow, you have to remember to go s- look at the file, though. It does mean you have to go look at the file, but if you want to get clever, you could have an Apple script that takes the file and emails it to yourself using mail.app through Apple script. <laughs> Running mail.app. Uh... Or Automator. Actually, Automator probably can handle that. Mm. Interesting. Okay. So that's so basically, don't let cron email, because it'll use Postfix. Okay. Put it to a file, and then either read the file or use one of your many automation tools in the GUI to make that file do something. Okay. So that's working around the problem. So just arrow, arrow, send the two file. Okay, so let's do an example. We've talked a lot. Let's do an example. So I want to prove to you that this works the way I say it does. So there is a, there is a terminal command which does one thing, very simply. It tells you the current date and time. The command is date. So if you just stick that into a terminal for now, you'll see what it does. Just says, so you say oh. date. It says Sunday. Well, in my case, it says Sunday. Oh, look, it's already Sunday here. <laughs> uh, not, okay, we did start late, right? So I haven't right. gone way over my hour. Okay. Um, so that command will show you the current date and time. So if I set this command with a cron job to run every two minutes and stick the output to a file, that file should contain the time now. Well, the time. Basically, it should contain the time every two minutes for as long as we leave that cron job in place, right? Right. So in the show notes, you can see a cron job definition, star slash two, space, star, space, star, space, star, space, star, space, slash bin slash date, space, arrow, arrow, space, slash TMP slash cron test dot log. Now I'm using the TMP folder in this example for a really good reason. The TMP folder exists on every single Mac, no matter what your username is. And it's writable by every single user on the system, no matter what your username is. Therefore, this example will just work, no matter whose computer you're on. You could also write to slash user slash Bart or slash user slash Allison or whatever your username is. But this way, the example just works. So that's why I'm using TMP. It's the temporary folder. So if you type crontab space minus E to open up your crontab in edit mode, you're now in VI. So go into insert mode by pressing the I key. Paste in that line. Hit the escape key or the escape touchscreen in your case. <laughs> uh, type the command. Type colon wq, which is write and quit, and that will take you out of your cron tab, and you're now back onto your terminal. You can verify that you have done what you think you've done by saying cron tab space minus l, and you should now see your entry in your cron tab. And then wait at least two minutes. Ideally, wait five minutes because then you're going to have at least two entries. And when those five minutes have elapsed. Or if you want to watch it in real time, either way, use the tail command to have a look at what's going on in that file. So tail space minus F for basically keep looking at it continuously. 
space slash tmp slash cron test dot log. And that will show you the file in real time. So if you leave that open in the background, what you'll see is every two minutes, a new line will appear in that file with the current date and time. And you will be able to scroll up and see, yes, this is actually running every two minutes. There it is. Now, I asked Alison before we started the show to please do this so that by the time we got here, we wouldn't have to wait five minutes. So has it worked? Yes. Yep. Yes, I've has. got stuff every two minutes for the whole time we've been talking. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, you can do a cron tab minus E and comment out that line if you like. Because that file is going to keep growing forever. So a dear listener, when you're done here, either cron tab minus or to remove your whole cron tab if it was empty when we started, or go in and comment out all this cruft we're putting in because this file will grow slowly a few kilobyte a few kilobytes every two minutes but if you leave it there for five years you've wasted a few gigabytes if not terabytes of disk space so don't leave this one behind clean up after yourself today so i'm not able to consistently get out of vi i never have been able to and i'm having the same problem right now so Escape WQ, right? No, escape colon no, WQ? colon WQ. Your colon is very Maybe important. I'm, I'm not sure. forgetting the colon. Okay. If you're forgetting the colon, you're issuing some sort of other VI command, and I don't remember what W does, but whatever it is, without the colon, it does not mean right. Okay. I think I'm forgetting the W. That's probably it. If you okay. just do colon Q, it'll whine at you. It's like, but I didn't save. Yeah. Yeah, so colon WQ. Ask colon WQ. When you've been a sysadmin for a while, you do that one in your sleep. I regularly, while using something like Text Wrangler, have random stray colon WQs in my text. <laughs> I like Especially it. when I use Text Wrangler's feature of SSHing into a remote server. Uh-huh. Because my brain goes, well, I'm on a remote server, therefore I'm in VI. Ask colon WQ. Oh, sod. <laughs> when I was just on uh, clock, uh, Clockwise this week, I asked the question, what's your most embarrassing password story? And uh, <laughs> one of the guys said, well, it wasn't me asking for a friend, but uh, they were in a Slack channel, I think it was, and somebody just kept writing over and over again this set of gloppy characters. <laughs> it was the guy's password to something. <laughs> I'll, I'll own up straight away. Um, IRC. Instead of issuing the appropriate slash command to authenticate, leave out the slash command. Just type your password into the bloody chat window. <laughs> Guess that's the sort of the, the 1990s version of typing it into Slack, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and I got a whole bunch of, yeah, well, it was the IRC channel belonging to the IT Society for the university. <laughs> so you can imagine how long it took me to live that one down. <laughs> As I say, it's not quite up there with the day I deleted every single computer from the domain. That was, a, that was a good day. That day we found out that our backups, which run by Cron, work. Oh. <laughs> it was a bit hairy, though. Anyway. I was just testing it, you know. There you go. Okay, so you may have noticed that when I created the Cron job to run the date command, I didn't say... Date. I said slash bin slash date. Why might I have done that? Um, because it wasn't in our path. 
Right. So, y- yes, but there's ish. a little more to it. Okay. No, not yes-ish. Yes, exactly. But what I want to tell you about steps back a little. So it's not just the path. Cron does not hand over your full environment to Cron, to cron jobs. So when you're running on a normal terminal, there's a whole bunch of environment variables set. And as we learned in installment 12, you can see them by typing the command env for environment. So if you just do that now, just type env, you'll see it's quite a long list. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. Okay. All right. Now, you can run a cron job and call env from within a cron job and pipe the output to a file. And when you do that, you will get what's in the show. Okay, so the cron job is in the show notes if you want to do it yourself. But I have the output. Notice how much shorter the environment is inside cron compared to inside your terminal. Yeah. Okay, so there's maybe 20 things in my terminal, but you've got eight or nine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah. So cron runs in a stripped down minimalist environment. And one of the things that's really stripped down is the path environment variable. Mm. Inside cron, it contains two entries. Whereas my path, because I have homebrew and all sorts of things installed, my real path in my terminal contains ooh, embarrassingly many entries. Mm-hmm. So if I didn't give full paths to things, now in this case, I would have got away with it because slash bin is in that stripped down path. So in the case of date, I would have got away with it. Right. But in the case of a whole bunch of other commands, I wouldn't get away with it. And therefore, my approach in cron is very simple. Don't waste your time second guessing. Just use full path names. Okay. It's just easier. Now, you can alter the environment inside cron. So inside the cron tab, you can have a line to specify an environment variable. And the syntax is really simple. It's just the name of the environment variable, no space, the equal symbol, the value you want that environment variable to have. So the environment variable I'm going to add is called dummy underscore environment underscore variable, and it will have the value boogers. <laughs> of course, you'd like that. <laughs> so the way it works inside the cron tab is that that environment variable has to be defined before the command that you want to have access to it. So hey, you would put... I, I've forgotten. What is an environment variable? Why do we want one? Well, an environment variable is just something that's... So it's in the environment and it can be used by the app. So the app okay. will see its environment. So different apps will use it in different ways. So let me think. Um, the version control system subversion uses environment variables to figure out what your favorite editor is when it makes you enter in the reason for a change. Mm. So that will use an environment variable, cvs underscore editor, I believe that one's called. So if you're reading a man page, there's often a section at the bottom of the man page under the heading environment that will list the environment variables that command will check for and tell you what they do. So as a developer, you're free to just arbitrarily say, if you want to give me input, stick it in a variable called blah, blah, blah. And you know, th- there's no set in stone meaning. The developer simply says in the documentation, I will check the environment for this variable. And if you put this value in, I'll do that. And if you put the other value in, I'll do the other. So they are at your disposal, but what you do with them is entirely defined by the app you're running. 
like Java uses a whole bunch of environment variables, Java underscore home being probably the most critical, but there's a whole bunch more Java environment variables. So if your cron job is to run some sort of enterprise-y Java gobbledygook, the chances are you'll need a few environment variables. Hmm. Oracle, there is Oracle. Oracle loves environment variables. If your cron job is going to back up an Oracle database, get typing. You're going to need a few. <laughs> okay. Right. So depending on what it is, but one of the environment variables is path. And okay. what that does, we know, right? So you could, in theory, use this mechanism to specify your own path. So you could say path equals and then type all the things you want and then put your cron jobs after that. Yeah. And that would work. Oh. But the thing is, it's, I would consider that a brittle result because if you then copy and paste that cron job to another computer, it will stop working. Yeah, yeah. Because you didn't take, you know, if you have 20 cron jobs, it may have scrolled off the pages a bit where you set your custom path. So I just use full path names and then the problem goes away. Okay. But anyway, in the example, we could set, so we could say dummy underscore environment underscore variable equals boogers. And then below that, define our every two minute rule to write the environment to a text file. Wait at least two minutes, read the text file, and lo and behold, it will say dummy environment variable equals boogers. Proving that we have successfully altered the environment. So. Okay. And that's actually all I have to say today. You know, I think this is a testimony to how tight the propeller beanie is on programming by <laughs> stealth that this seems just trivially easy. I'm just like, la da da, you understand. Well, I, I'm is, not complaining, just it's interesting because no, no. I used to think taming the terminal was the hard one. Well, it was, but the only reason that programming by stealth is possible is because we've tamed the terminal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Bash is officially a programming language. Yeah. Uh, right? So I, I have been really stealthy because actually I've been planning programming by stealth for five years at least. And the entirety of Taming the Terminal was actually already programming by stealth. But it was so much by stealth, I hadn't even told you. <laughs> wow. What else do you have up your sleeves? What, what, what are we doing in the 2020s? <laughs> Probably still programming by stealth. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see. I started my computer science degree in 1997. New technologies come out faster than I can learn them. So I will never be finished learning. Ever. Well, until I die. And then I'll be done. But not because I've run out. It's because I'm gone. Yeah, you know. There's always it, more to learn. I'm fascinated. Um, I used to know people. Well, I used to work with people who used um, uh, computer design programs. And somebody would get hmm. really good at one. And then they would change it and decide, we're going to use a different one. And these people would be, you know, over my dead body. And it's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're in the wrong industry yeah yeah and what fascinated me was they didn't understand that because they were able to get good at one shouldn't that mean you'd be able to get good at the next one you know you learned right. the first one you didn't know it when you started and um i don't know maybe that's the difference between somebody who loves learning software and somebody who just wants it to get another job done i don't know possibly but it, my my feeling is if you're a, if you're the kind of person who doesn't like change, IT is not the career for you. <laughs> yeah, really. I, the IT industry, computers in general, are about change. Perpetual, constant, never-ending 
change. And if that is torture to you, then your entire life will be torture because that's what you're, you, you're either going to waste your energy fighting battles you cannot win or you're just going to be a cranky sod. <laughs> but either way, you're not going to have a happy life. So I, I never swim upstream is my, my constant thing, right? IT changes, embrace that fact, move. And you'll be grand. <laughs> Why hasn't my cheese moved? <laughs> it was and actually, I, I will tell you one thing that is up my sleeve for the future. I'll give you a little sneak peek. I really want to take you into the world of databases. Ooh, I would love to know databases. That, right. But that's, before yeah, that's databases like Excel used steroids, right? Right. But before, da- yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Actually, you actually you will love databases. <laughs> oh my god, you will. Yeah, joiner tables make pivot tables. Like to be very silly. Um, <laughs> But no, databases are only useful when you have the ability to programmatically manipulate data. So basically, your program changes data and your database stores data and your database allows you to query that data. So you do kind of need programming to be able to make databases really sing, which is why I'm doing it in the order we're doing it. But we are definitely, I want to go towards databases because that is the magic that makes most of the internet work is databases plus programming. Nice. That sounds fun. (laughs) yeah all right well this has been really cool bart um the audience uh doesn't know this yet but we're going to be talking in just a couple of days and be back to programming by stealth right we just snuck an episode out of order here we snuck an episode of order because someone wanted more time to do their homework Ooh, i better start that pretty soon huh yeah i bet i'll have plenty of time on thanksgiving week (laughs) that's true you guys have this weird holiday that, that we don't have here in europe so yeah to me this is the quiet time before christmas uh, and to you, this is chaos. Yep, yep. We're just going to have about 20 people over for dinner. It should be easy. Piece of cake. Oh, geez. Okay. That that sounds like you need lots of checklists. <laughs> yeah, we do. Luckily, Steve does most of the work, but there's all the cleaning and such, you know? Sounds like fun. So, right. hang on. So, when is, is Thanksgiving before or after I talk to you again? Uh, it's after. Is Thanksgiving before or after the listeners hear me again? Um, After. After? I think. Okay. That's fine. Then I'll save, I'll save my, my greetings until, until the next one. But if I miss out wishing people a happy Thanksgiving, <laughs> I'll be cranky. All right. Say it anyway. You could say it twice. Okay. Well, assuming you don't hear from me again, I hope you all have a lovely Thanksgiving. And, uh, you, know, you know, have fun, be with family, do nice things. All right. Perfect, Bart. Okay. Well, until next time, happy computing. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. We are now supported by Patreon. So if you go over to podfeet.com slash Patreon, you can pledge your support to the show in weekly installments. If you don't have money to spare, I understand that. And it would be great if you used our Amazon affiliate links when you buy things on Amazon anyway, and a little bit of money goes to help the show. I love feedback, so please send me email at allison at podfeed.com. And you can join in our Facebook group over at podfeed.com slash Facebook and our community at podfeed.com slash Google+. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.